Well, then let's rock and roll. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rock and Roll Podcast, and I'm your host, John Harris, and today we have a, what we're going to call a Power Talk Industry Insider Series. We've been chatting with uh, record execs, we've been chatting with A&R people, we've been chatting with band managers, and today we have Corey Westbrook on, who is a band manager herself and is also a writer for Metal Injection, so I thought this would be an absolutely fantastic episode to chat about the industry from Corey's perspective. So, Corey, welcome to the show. Oh, yeah, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely great to have you on. Now, let's start with the most broad question possible. And you did mention that you do more than what a normal band manager does. So I'm terribly curious, what then does a normal band manager do, and why did you choose to go outside of that? So um, normal band managers, they're usually the ones out there finding new opportunities for their bands. Um, they also are involved in negotiating contracts and finding, you know, like record deals and things like that on behalf of their clients. They're usually the go-between between the industry and the band. So if uh, the band needs help finding, you know, merch distribution, the manager will go facilitate, or if they need, like I said, a record deal, they'll go facilitate, um, Typically, it's only bigger bands that tend to need that. Uh, bands that have reached a point in their career where they can no longer manage themselves. Uh, most small bands don't need someone like me. The reason I went outside of that is I have an odd background with like a grab bag of digital marketing skills, um, web development, graphic design, social media management, all of that you know, kind of stuff all wrapped into one. I've been doing marketing for about 13 years and I've gained a lot of different skills over those 13 years. Um, the band that I manage is still quite small and technically would not need a normal band manager. But in addition to going and finding them distribution and, you know, facilitating between who's pressing their CDs and their vinyl and all of that stuff, I also built their website um, I manage I manage all of their ads. I help manage their social media. Um, I, I do a little bit of everything except for writing the music myself. Um, I, I'll, I'll even sit there um, and coach them on their English because the band is French. And so they're not totally fluent in English. So I'll sit there if they need, you know, help prepping for an interview to get comfortable speaking in English. So... I do just a little bit of everything for them. And uh, so I'm more like an artist developer, I guess, is the best way to describe what I do. It's a, a little different um, and definitely more involved than the average band manager. But I, I really wouldn't have it any other way. I absolutely love working with them and getting to see them grow has just been it's like watching a child grow up or something like that. It's it's been amazing and very fulfilling. Well, that's good. I was going to say a lot mm -hmm. of musicians are like children. <laughs> well, thankfully, uh, Akiavel is not. They are very, very hardworking. Um, they're just genuinely awesome people to work with. I know I can count on them to get things done. So it doesn't have the total, you know, herding cats feel that a lot of bands might have. I mean, that happens a little bit, but it's not too bad at all. And they they all work very, very hard. So I'm I'm fortunate to have them as my clients. Yeah. That takes me back to Jim Rohn. I don't know if you uh, are familiar with Jim Rohn, uh, but he 
had the analogy of leadership is like herding cats. And if you can Mm -hmm. learn how to herd cats, then your paycheck will be huge. That was his whole speech. So, (laughs) yeah, that's uh, (laughs) where I got the the whole terminology from, too, is it it definitely can be like herding cats. But (laughs) like I said, with them, they're all very hardworking. So I have no complaints. (laughs) Well, that's a key thing that you mentioned there was being hardworking. And something else you mentioned, too, was reaching a certain size or saturation point maybe before you actually really do need somebody else to manage you. So I guess that's my next question is I'm a band. I'm listening in. How do I know when I've reached that size or that saturation point? When you can no longer do it yourself. There um, there will come a point where it's just too much. And at that point, generally what will happen is people will start to come to you because you will have gained enough traction to get their attention, basically. Um, And then at that point, you're really going to want to vet who you're working with uh, pretty extensively because managers, I mean, it's not an inexpensive relationship normally. And you don't want to be signing anything to anyone, any kind of a percentage. Don't want to be giving anybody any money unless you know they can perform for you. Now that brings a really good question. Do you then, I don't know, call references? How do you, how do you know? Okay. Um, You can check references, look at their roster, look at who they say they've worked with um, and reach out to those bands and ask. Uh, This world is very, very small. So generally you're going to be able to find somebody who knows them. If they have no internet presence, um, no verifiable like digital trail, don't work with them because chances are they're totally shysters. Um, And then the other thing to look at is the pay structure. So normally a manager will get paid a percentage of whatever the band is earning. Um, And where that percentage come from comes from depends on the band. Some only take a percentage of merch. Some take a percentage of a little bit of everything. It just really depends on the contract that you work out. But if someone's coming to you saying, I'll manage you for 500 bucks a month up front, and they're wanting any kind of money up front, chances are they're not going to be able to do anything for you and they're just going to take your money and disappear. Okay. Charlatans. Corey, charlatans. Yeah, and I've unfortunately heard a lot of stories about people who have, you know, paid up front and gotten nothing. And, I mean, unless my bands are making money, I don't make a thing. That's my rule. Because my whole job is to make them money and make them profitable. So if they're not making money, I'm not doing my job. Right. And I don't remember where I'd heard that. Maybe it was because I did go to recording school a few years back and we did take some music business classes. And I think in there I'd I'd heard uh, that. But I guess for a lot of bands who don't know that or don't take the classes or whatever, Mm -hmm. they don't know that a proper band manager is there to make X percentage and therefore – uh, obviously that varies band manager for the Foo Fighters. His percentage is quite different than, you know, a few others. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. therefore if he is able to help, well, that brings up another question, right? Uh, band management at different stages. For what reason would the Foo Fighters need one? Very different than the reason that the band that you have currently needs one. Right. Exactly. And like I said, with the band that I have, my relationship is a bit different, but you know, someone like the Foo Fighters, that manager is going to be organizing all of their events, all of their interviews, all of that stuff. 
Um, they're going to be the one handling the merch contracts and just, they're going to be doing all of that industry go between stuff that the band really shouldn't be handling. They should be focusing on being creative and creating content. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's, you heard it here first, the rock metal podcast bands out there that, uh, if you've got somebody approaching you and they want money up front, they're a shyster. Yeah, don't do it. They're a shyster. Um, and yes, I do remember hearing that in some somewhere, some class, somewhere in a music business class or something that uh, managers don't make yeah, money unless you. Do. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely confusing because people like PRs, they do get paid up front right. because their job is to spread the word. Now, if your PR campaign doesn't work out, then you don't work with that person again. But their job is to spread the word, so that's what you're paying them to do. A manager's job is to make the band profitable. So band's not profitable. Their job is not done. Right. It's just kind of, it, it gets a little confusing in how different people in the industry are paid, but yes, if anybody's asking for money up front, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Run away. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boom. Okay. Now something else you mentioned too was artist development. Now in this particular case, mm-hmm. you mentioned like uh, coaching on interviews and whatnot. Do you also do any live coaching, like how to put on a show, how to come out on stage, how to leave stage, things like that? Um, right now I haven't done a a whole lot of that, obviously, because of the whole pandemic situation, but yes, it is something that, um, like image coaching that Mm -hmm. I, you know, kind of offer. Um, but again, that's also not normal (laughs) for a band manager to do. Um, usually they'll have like an art director or a creative director or something involved with that. Um, but at the, the band that I work with at their stage, since they are still small, I'm just like the all in one grab bag of stuff that they need. (laughs) Groovy. Okay. So artist development is not a part of it. I was going to ask more questions about artist development, but, uh, that is not a part of it. Um, It's not normally what a manager does. (laughs) It is what I do, but I am not normal. (laughs) Right. Well, I guess maybe a small question then actually just to bend on some of your expertise is, uh, what goes into artist development that maybe a band can do themselves? Like, should they videotape themselves on stage? What should they be looking for? So learning everything that they can about the business, um, artists typically at a small stage should be able to, um, organize their own merch, uh, organize whoever's going to be doing the artwork for like their t-shirts and their albums and stuff. Um, their graphic designer, which I actually ended up being that for the band that I work with. Go Corey. <laughs> um, it's an odd relationship, I will admit. Um, but so, and then learning how to manage an ad campaign is going to be very valuable, even if um, the band doesn't end up ever doing that. Understanding their audience. Yeah. And how to reach them is going to be the probably the most valuable piece of development a band can do. Because if you don't know where your audience lives or what's attracting them to your music, then you're not going to be able to reach them and then expand upon that audience. Right. You're bringing in the marketing savvy now. Exactly. Like I said, <laughs> Swiss Army knife of marketing skills over here. <laughs> That's right. Um <laughs> Yeah, well, it you know that go into establishing the brand b a b r a n d as well. Brand. Um, so things like coming up with your voice, 
how do you want your bio written? What kind of a persona do you want to put out there? Do you want to be more, you know, humorous or do you want to be more serious? Things like uh, colors. What kind of a color scheme do you want to use? And so that you're uh, brand is consistent as you move forward. I usually recommend like five colors that you work with that are yours. That right. is what you use throughout everything. Um, so yeah, voice colors, um, and then getting your, your digital platform fully set up is something that every band should do. Uh, so that's all of your social media, uh, be on every platform. I, I don't, I, I get a lot of people complaining about Twitter and they don't like Twitter and they don't want to be on Twitter, be on Twitter. Um, you have, you should have one on every major platform, yeah. getting your YouTube set up. I have actually run into bands that didn't have their own YouTube set up under the band name, which okay. why, um, <laughs> yeah. And, and having your, you know, your website and like an EPK set up so that you actually have something to present to people when somebody from the industry wants to talk to you or when you're blasting out your press release, you actually have something solid to be sending out to the different media outlets. Now, what goes into an EPK? And for anybody who doesn't know, that's an electronic press kit, <laughs> which is basically a nice little package that describes everything I need to know in like, what, 10 seconds about your band? Um, more or less, yes. So it should have, if you're doing, say you're doing an EPK for a new release, it should have the MP3s for the new release, uh, promo photo, band bio, all of those kind of uh, pieces that somebody would need to, say, write a review. So all of those pieces wrapped into one. And this should never be, this is a pet peeve, um, uh -oh. never be an attachment. Don't ever attach those. Um, okay. Chances are it will get bounced by an email server, especially if it's a big attachment. Mm -hmm. So it should live somewhere that you can link to be it a Dropbox, be it a password protected web page. I mean, I've seen them many different ways. So Dropbox, Google Drive, password protected web page. There are, um, or if you're hiring a PR, chances are they will build you an EPK in Holix. So, okay, yeah. And for anybody who doesn't know, Holix is like a professional backend. I call it a backend solution because I didn't know about it until I started doing the podcast. I started getting sent. Mm -hmm things and i was like oh so this is how things get sent around you know on the on the back end and not everybody does use it i do still get like google drive i still get dropbox um i do sometimes get attachments and it looks very for some reason it looks very inundating at the bottom of my email to have 10 attachments at yeah 10 attachments is and for some reason in dropbox it doesn't look so inundating <laughs> No, and you can nicely organize everything in Dropbox. So you can have a folder that says promo picks. You can have a folder that says, you know, the album title and MP3s, a folder that's, you know, bio and band information. So it, you can organize it quite nicely in Dropbox. I do like Dropbox and I like Google Drive a lot. Um, and if you're hiring an outside PR, chances are, though, they probably will use Holix if they're a more established PR. Yes, exactly. That's a very good way to slip that in there about Curtis. He's very established. <laughs> uh, well, not just Curtis. Uh, most of the label PRs use Holix too, or they use a password protected um, web page on their own web hosting. Yes. I've seen one or the two. Boom. Okay. One last question, and then we'll move, I think, into metal injection. We'll inject the metal into there. 
is <laughs> you mentioned social media and one of the vibes that I, I get myself from bands on social media and that I've uh, chatted with a couple A&R people is if you don't know how to do it, just don't do it because you're shooting yourself in the foot. So how should a band approach it other than just be everywhere? If a band doesn't know how to do it, I definitely would not recommend doing nothing. Doing nothing is absolutely the worst thing you can do. If you don't know how to do it, learn how to do it. Um, there are hundreds and hundreds, thousands of YouTube tutorials, articles, everything that you could possibly want is at your fingertips. Um, just, just Google it. And then also look at what other bands in your genre are doing, what other bands that you like are doing and learn from them. Look at what works, what gets the most traction. Is it, oh, when they post a band photo, they get a ton of traction. Or if they post you know, a short clip of them in the studio, they get a lot of response and you can start working those things into how you approach your social media, but with your own twist. Um, another thing that I recommend that people do is schedule it. Um, the simplest way to do this is to create like an Excel spreadsheet or a Google sheet that says the day, um, whatever the caption is, and then like a link to an image or a video or something and kind of plan what you're going to do that way you can get into kind of a flow with things and it's not, Oh crap. It's, you know, I haven't posted in six days. I need to think of something that way you have just kind of a constant stream of things. And then another easy <laughs> way to get content is, um, sharing what other people say about you. So if you just did a, a press cycle, thank all of the publications in a post, say you got 30 pieces of press, that's 30 things that you can then schedule forward and say, you know, thank you to Metal Injection for featuring my video or, you know, thank you to Metal Rules for premiering my song, just things like that, that it's easy, low hanging fruit for content. Mm -hmm. Well, something that you mentioned there that is, I think, at the crux of what a lot of bands aren't doing is planning it. Mm -hmm. Most bands don't plan. Um, I, since I work uh, a day job as well as band band management and metal injection, I have to plan everything or I will drown. Mm -hmm. And honestly, once you start planning it out and, you know, thinking about what you're going to be saying, it gets so much easier and so much less overwhelming. Um, obviously if you have something that's current going on, you can add that to your plan day of like, say you meet up for an impromptu jam session and you want to post a picture. That's totally fine. You can add that in, but as long as you have that underlying plan, it becomes so much easier and, and that, that stress of, Oh crap, I have to think of something just goes away. Yeah. And then they post something that does nothing. And then, but at least we posted something, I guess. Yeah. And the, I think the biggest killer when it comes to social media is inconsistency. Correct. Um, where they'll post a ton for a month mm -hmm. and then be silent for six mm -hmm. or, you know, they'll post once every other week it's just not, it's not enough to gain any kind of traction on social media. Correct. Okay, beautiful. Now, one of the things that we mentioned a few times there was metal injection. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't even know what I want to ask about that, Corey. I just know that I need to ask something about it. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe tell us how that relationship started, uh, how that has gone for you, uh, anything that maybe a band might need to know regarding metal injection do they need to know about metal injection um well if they don't know about metal injection they're 
kind of out of touch. Um, not to like toot our horns or anything, but Metal Injection is probably one of the biggest um, online, you know, metal publications. So yes, they probably should know about, about Metal Injection. But um, going back to your first part of that question, how it got started was um, more or less, I got tired of being just a fan about two years ago. I've always been a metal fan, love the the genre pretty much as a whole everybody always asks me what oh what's your favorite genre of metal yes it's that's my answer is do you have a favorite genre all of it um (laughs) and so uh i didn't really have any writing well i mean i have writing experience but i didn't have like a portfolio or anything like that but when i went on their website i saw that they were looking for a social media manager which i do have an extensive you know portfolio of social media management. So I reached out like, Hey, I will manage your social media. Just, uh, let me know if you're interested in working with me. And I didn't hear back. Um, so I reached out again and I didn't hear back. And so I reached out again and finally I heard back and they said, um, that I was overqualified, which generally means you're too expensive. (laughs) Um, or we assume you're going to be too expensive. So I offered to work for free. Okay. As an intern, um, because I just wanted to be able to do something to support the metal industry. And I really didn't care what it was at that point. And so I started working for them for free. And uh, over the past couple of years, my um, relationship with them has grown. I do still manage uh, like their Instagram and everything like that. Um, and like mod all the comments on the website. And that's a lot of fun. But <laughs> I also started writing. For them, um, I don't have anywhere near the credits somebody like Greg has, but I did start writing for them. I handle a lot of premieres. I also help um, Frank with the monthly Slay at Home Fest that we do, and uh, yeah, just it just kind of grew from every time they needed something, they were like, "Hey, do you think you can help out with?" Yes, yes, I can. <laughs> Even if I didn't fully know what I was doing, it was always yes. And so I just kind of established myself as somebody that they could count on to pick up whatever it was that needed to be picked up. And I started off with projects that were tedious and honestly, not that much fun. Um, but I did them and Mm. now I get to do a lot more fun stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it's about, it's a blast. Bending back on that hardworking thing that we talked about at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, when you're in this industry, you're going to work harder than you ever thought you would ever have to, or you're not going to be able to really get anywhere. Um, you can't have hobby level commitment and expect professional level results. You're going to have to bust ass basically is all it is. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, you heard it right here. Bust ass people. Yep. You cannot be, if you want to do this full time, you can't commit part time. Correct. And, no uh, I work anywhere from 90 to 120 hours a week all in with everything that I do. So it's a definite commitment, but every minute of it is worth it because I I love this genre and Mm -hmm. I love the people that I work with. So it's worth it to me. Well, and with hair like that, I mean, how do you do it? (laughs) I don't sleep. Oh, I drink a lot of coffee. Okay. (laughs) Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule then to come onto the show and chat with me and chat with us. Oh, I, this has been awesome. I, I mean, like I said before we started, I don't get a whole lot of people wanting to 
interview me. It's usually me interviewing the other people. Um, so it's a nice change of pace. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, and hopefully something I said is helpful to someone somewhere. That's right. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, not a problem. Do you have any other questions for me? Um, no.